all corners of the globe to your ears. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys. Sometimes informative, sometimes controversial, but always unpredictable. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast with your hosts, Hunter, John, and Stu. And now, on with the show. Hello, party people, and welcome back to another edition of the Midnight Movie Cowboys. It's been a minute. I'm Hunter, and joining me in the Rocky Mountain High of Colorado is Mr. John Gray. Say hello, John. Hola. And in the wild outback of Australia, enjoying a pint of VB in the Yaba, is Mr. Stuart Balk. Say hello, Stu. Hello. It's been beautiful weather here lately, so uh, summer's on the approach. He's, he's rolling the windows down and is holding, ladies and gentlemen. Sun's out, guns out. Yeah. Been hitting the gym. I just actually been uh, doing a deep dive into Mike Mensa's stuff. Uh, John, who's familiar with it. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. I mean, you only train once every you know, <laughs> six months, but fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> that shit's well, insane. I, I don't know about the Mike Mensa stuff. I, I'd say his early his early theories have value but the later stuff when he was talking about working out the muscle once a month or whatever yeah. forget don't even don't listen to that stuff yeah you know yeah, who i want to hit original hit heavy the, duty is worth it you know who i want to hit the gym with i want to hit the gym with bill thornbury and reggie bannister <laughs> jeez these are the, those dudes they're a couple of bros I want to I want to sit down on the porch. I want to pull out a six string, you know, play some Rolling Stones. Well, you got a brewski on the porch. Oh, Summertime. Boy. You know, dazed and confused wishes it could have the vibes that Phantasm has. Hunter, have you seen Kenny and Company? No, I haven't. I've always wanted to. I remember didn't Kenny Anchor Company Bay put it out? Like, and it's pretty. It's soft, sought after, isn't it? Yeah, it's on YouTube. There's oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a good upload too. It's pretty decent. It's watchable. And uh, that movie is what Days and Confuse wished it could be. Yeah, man. There's Don Coscarelli. Uh, the movie we're talking about today is Phantasm, and you know Don Coscarelli, the Wonderkind. Did Kenny and Company before it was one of two films he did before Phantasm, uh, and it starred a Michael Baldwin, uh, who plays uh, Mike in Phantasm. Yep, Phantasm, but also it, also known as the Never Dead over here, which I had no idea it was Phantasm until about ten years ago. Yeah, I saw film. that it was called the Never Dead overseas. Yeah, oh, I don't know what other country got it as that title. I know we definitely got it because I remember the poster. I go, oh cool looking poster but uh never rented it on vhs for some reason it was one of the so one of the harder titles to get um, and was looking at it and i thought why is this film the never dead just never turned up anywhere and i go i'll look into this and i go there's a poster for phantasm with exactly the same thing just doesn't have the never dead on it i go oh it's the same film mm-hmm. and i found out why is because uh there was a soft core John Holmes film released here as Phantasm in 1978, but F-A-N-T-A-S-M. Mm. And then it was a sequel, Phantasm Comes Again. And so to not get the two films mixed up, they retitled the horror film Phantasm to The Never Dead. 
which I think is a better title. I like it more. Well, it certainly uh, avoids confusion. Yes. So you don't you don't go go and you know think you're getting some tall man chasing Reggie and Mike and Jody action, and then oh oh it's John Holmes. There's Ushi Degard. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen those Phantasm films back in the Netflix rental days, and, right. and they were odd. Both were directed by Richard Franklin, Psycho 2, Helmer. Yeah, he's not going to tell you that, though. He'll uh, keep that one on the DL. He's Australian. Well, he, he was on yeah. the commentary. That's the funny thing. Oh, he was. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, well. but he didn't, he didn't use his name, but everybody knew it was him. I mean, he, he was kind of, you know, he was cheeky about it, I guess. Yeah. I always thought that with John Lamond. He might have been producing him, or he might have released him or something. It was... The uh, sort of skin flick king over here of the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So, fan, when did you first see this, uh, Stu? <laughs> Yesterday. Oh, wow. <laughs> I told you I'd never seen it before, ever. Oh, I didn't I didn't remember that. John, what about you? You probably saw it in, like, the drive-in in, like, Mississippi or something, right? Oh, I wish. Um, <laughs> I saw it, I think, 1985. I saw a cut version on WGN the superstation from Chicago. They showed it on Friday night. And uh, of course, all the, all the gore is cut out and a lot of the intense stuff and everything. And, uh, so it's, it seemed more like a sci-fi adventure film when you watch it in that, that way. And then I rented it years later, saw the uncut version. And of course, I think I bought a DVD and the double O's watched that a few times. And then uh, just got a Blu-ray set uh, this year, purchased at Walmart of all places. Is it the Wellgo USA one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So uh, I first saw it. You know, I saw Bubba Hotep. That was my introduction to Don Coscarelli. I'm sorry. And I, <laughs> well, uh, well, I enjoyed it. And I saw he did. Um, I saw he did these Phantasm movies. And I was like, well, there's a horror franchise this guy has. I should seek him out. But uh, the first one was out of print. And I don't think you could get the second or third one on DVD for a long time. It was just Phantasm Four, so that was the first one I saw. Which that movie makes no sense if you haven't seen the other two, and even then, it still doesn't make a lot of sense. Or the other three, excuse me. But I actually like Phantasm Four a lot. I went back and watched all the movies this Halloween, and um, I enjoyed that one way more than I remembered. But uh, they did a re-release of Phantasm One and Three, because the first one came out on DVD, but it was kind of I think it was out of print for a while. Um, yeah. But Anchor Bay re-released one and three. Two was hard to get because it was it was Universal put it out and they just kind of buried it and it didn't come out on DVD for a long time. Um, Funny because it was a huge theatrical release. I remember when it it came out in 1988 or 89 or whatever. They, yeah, they gave they it a big a push. Huge blitz of a marketing campaign, and it just flopped. Yeah. So you know, it was a while before I saw Phantasm two, but when I finally saw Phantasm one, I was uh, I thought it was great. For those who don't know. The movie is about a kid who sees some strange goings on in the cemetery and there's a, a mortuary and it's run by this very tall, imposing looking guy played by Angus Scrim, just known as the tall man. He ain't that and, tall. Let's let's <laughs> be honest. I mean, I'm looking for a guy when they said the tall man, I thought, oh, he's got to be at least damn near seven feet. But this guy's maybe about six, two. He's tall. he's tall if you're a little kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what they should have done. As I was watching this, I said they should have shot the perspective of the young fella, that scrawny mess, way up. Like they did with the Incredible Hulk with the two Hulks, where they shot that guy look like Roger Daltrey as a Hulk, but 
they put the camera right up like where he was about 10 foot tall. They should have done this film for every perspective of this guy, but they didn't do it. They messed up. Well, one of their friends, his brother's friends dies and uh, he just starts to see all these strange things. And it turns out there may or may not be a scheme to put the corpses of the dead into an ultra high gravity dimension to turn them into killer midgets uh, that are going to take over the world. Is that a fair, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, pretty fair. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Don Coscarelli wrote and directed, uh, stars Mike, a Michael Baldwin, Angus Scrim is the tall man. And you got, uh, the Kmart version of, uh, Bruce Campbell, Reggie Bannister. Is Reggie. Yeah. <laughs> and Bill Thornbury is Jody. Jody. And there's also uh, a brief uh, scene in the film where it becomes Dune, where you have the fear is yes. the mind killer scene. Yep. And Star Wars, all the Jawas. Yeah. Like Kung Fu Jawas, where the hell they are. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Apparently, that was a pure coincidence because they were filming it before Star Wars came out. Oh, and bullshit. They, well, no, yeah, they this came out. They yeah. saw the Star Wars trailer and saw the Jawas. They were thinking. Should we reshoot and change? I think they couldn't afford to. They said, should we actually change all this? Because you got to remember, both Star Wars and Phantasm were stealing from Frank Herbert novels and other sources. So mm-hmm. it's it's pure coincidence. Lucas never raised a fuss about it. I don't think it takes that much to come up with like short little critters and yeah. robes, you know? Right. The same colored dark brown robes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What other robe? What, what do you think? Well, that photograph's be like? the best. Think- if they were... Yeah. If they're like black robes, they may not photograph very well. Yeah, they'll blend into the shadows. You know, you gotta have some yeah. dark some some brown robes. Stall off Star Wars. This is this is, this is what you this is what you learn in cinematography school, Stu. It's rubbish. Brown robe. It's, it's, it, no, it's what you learn is they stole from Lucas and then is they, they they you know, the brown robe, it photographs nice in a dark mausoleum and in the desert. Mm-hmm. And a film that made about ten twenty trillion dollars <laughs> box office. Let's Listen, you know, I th- I'm willing to think that's a coincidence, but when um, the tall man pulled out the lightsaber and and dared uh, Reggie to strike him down, uh, that was a bridge too far for me. I yeah, you said he was the fourth Reggie was pushing it. I don't <laughs> yeah. know what they thought. He was the father of um, that scrawny kid. Yeah. Well, I will say the tall man does use the force to uh, throw metallic spheres at people and drill their brains out. Yeah. Okay. So. That that's the the really surreal thing, and there's the, this movie has a lot of surreal horror in it. And uh, one of the one of the things is there's these killer spheres that fly around and like stab you in the face, and then drill your brains and shoot your brains out the other side. Oh, good of them, Archie. It was a good effect. It's one of those things, though, where I go, "Who came up with that? Where do you come up with that? That's something you would could only like have like a horrible nightmare about, and then write it down and go, "I'm gonna gonna shoot that." <laughs> Supposedly that's what it was. Like he was just basically writing down his dreams and yeah, and he was reading sci-fi novels and lifting stuff from there. Like uh he's got the Roger Zelazny paperback on the nightstand of the kid. And um and uh, it's funny you mentioned the ball because I remember they ran into problems with the MPAA with the ball effect and the blood shooting out. And uh when I was a kid I had like the second or third issue of Fangoria and they had a whole article on Phantasm which was rolling out in the theaters at that year and they had all the photos of the ball piercing the forehead and the gore it was probably was that, some of the first gore shots in fangoria 
Was that Phantasm said, oh, 1 or 2? Because I remember 2 Phantasm they cut. Phantasm oh, 1, wow. they actually had those picks in there because Fangoria was the first magazine to start showing the gore shots. And this is as far back as 1979. Because I know in Phantasm 2, like, they really soft pedal the, the ball gore stuff yeah. in it. Like, the, the stuff with yellow blood, when it's the, the embalming fluid, when it's, right. when it's spraying that everywhere, they're fine. But whenever they're, like, it's drilling someone's brains out, uh, they, it, like, cuts away immediately. Like, the first Phantasm movie's way more full-on with it. Right. Um, well, the, you got to remember, uh, the year Phantasm 2 came out, the MPAA was so strict on horror films that you would have, like, at least two Friday the 13th films came out with not a single drop of blood in them. Yeah, they cut cut all the gore and blood out completely. Same with, like, um, harsh. what was it, Elm Street 4, I think, was heavily cut. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think it's Jason takes Manhattan and um, a new blood. The one with the Carrie type girl. Fighting yeah. Jason. Part seven. Yeah. There's no blood in the, in either of those films. No gore. Nope. Yeah. I remember, I remember AAA said, Nope, got to cut it all out. Or you don't get an R. I remember thinking those were all very tame when I saw them for the first time, but yeah, yeah. Phantasm too. Uh, you could tell that like Don Coscarelli even said he shot way more. He like went more over the top with it in hopes that he could get away with a little more by cutting some stuff out that he was planning to cut out anyway. Yeah. The um, John Milius Conan, the barbarian trick where Milius yeah. overshot the gore and managed to keep a lot of it in. Cause he had, he had promised to trim a certain amount of frames or something. And he got away with probably the glorious star rated film in 1982. Yeah. But phantasm one Phantasm 2, you haven't seen it, Stu, but that one is way more of an 80s horror movie. It looks like um, I, I acquired all five of them and uh, briefly flicked through part two and go, yeah, but it looks like an 80s horror film for sure. Yeah, it's a totally different uh, type of movie. But this one, uh, John, I saw you on the internet comparing this to Fulci. Uh, yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. What, do you. what are your thoughts there? Well, I said that Coscarelli was re- was one of those directors in the 70s who was really good and probably didn't even intend to be. He was excellent at surrealism, which isn't something that a lot of horror directors in America tried to do. Uh, and also, you know, Fulci does these movies that are dreamlike and they have extended scenes. Is it real? Is, is the character dreaming? E- even as early as The Psychic with Jennifer O'Neill, there's material in that movie that I guess would qualify as surrealism. But uh, Coscarelli puts it in there and the whole film feels really dreamlike simply because there's a lot of unreality to it, you know, probably due to the low budget. So some of it may be accidental, but he manages to get a good nightmare quality, you know, nightmare on film at thing that a lot of directors, they, they just don't achieve it. You know, Fulci is one and uh, Coscarelli would be the other. I think Coscarelli is actually better because he's got that, you know, he's got that more um, blue collar American style. He likes shotguns. Mm-hmm. He likes muscle cars he likes you know topless women that sort of thing it's a little it's he a likes little more... quadruple barrel shotguns yes it's very american <laughs> very american you know surrealism i guess and i Whereas loved it uh, you know it's italian and <laughs> british actors dubbed with american accents and everything so and like uh reggie it definitely when you get to phantasm 2 it feels like okay coscarelli saw evil dead 2 yeah, like like Reggie's very like Bruce Campbell-ish the rest of the series, but in a good way. I like I like Reggie. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this movie has like it's just the 70s vibes, man. Sitting on the porch, still like playing rock music with the Stones T-shirt. <laughs> Reggie's an yeah. ice cream man, you know, just 
this is the time in our lives, man. We're like young and free, you know? Nobody, nobody wants to grow up to be a computer programmer or an office drone or, you know, they're content just being the ice cream man. And <laughs> what was it? I love it in uh, Phantasm 4 when they, they think back to what great times they had. And it's like Mike, Reggie, and Jody sitting on a muscle car playing guitar and like having a beer. <laughs> In like Very slow 70s. motion. <laughs> Before like, the internet ruined kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just I, I was really appreciating it this time around when I watched all the films. <laughs> Before the internet video games just screwed everybody up. Yeah. You could just hang out on your porch, play some music, you know, be super cool. And, and the best part too is that Reggie's this cool dude, but he's an ice cream man and he's bald and has a ponytail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which apparently he was in Nam. Reggie was like the actor was. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, Orange must have got his hair. Yeah. He's the Nam. Survived some hand-to-hand knife fights and Hapkido battles. With it is. It is very possible that Reggie has killed a man. Had to maintain the uh, warrior ponytail there. <laughs> Many a VC has fallen to Reggie's ponytail. Yeah, they didn't mess with him. They because he, he would he, put the. He would put a sign on each VC he killed uh, that said Doom on you. And he would tag it right on their forehead. Leave a little ice cream wrapper. Yeah, it was all in Vietnamese. It was all written in Vietnamese. <laughs> Doom on you. And then he, <laughs> <laughs> he, right, right, little... he was truly the last hunter of Saigon, you know. He would tie a little combat knife in his ponytail, whip it. <laughs> <laughs> but it also reminds me of that time that in the 70s, there was a huge science fiction paperback boom, and it was mostly read by teenagers. Mm. And that's why Dune was so popular back then and everything. I mean, it's a teen boys read. And, you yeah, know, it's a it's a young adult novel. People don't yes, it realize that <laughs> a very massive one. But of course, in these Harry Potter days, what difference does that make? But right. Uh, but that's all it is. You know, it's just it, it's easy to see why you lifted so much out of Dune. And even acknowledges it. I think the bar is called like the Dune Bar or something. Yeah, it. He's not trying to hide it. <laughs> yeah, because nobody thought they'd make a Dune movie back then. They said, "Ah, oh, there's no way they'll make this stuff." No, that that was a pipe dream. Yeah, because um, Star Wars hadn't come out. It didn't show that studios would throw that much money into something like that. And you know, uh, so the idea of like a Dune movie or John Carter or Mars type of film, it just wasn't on anybody's mind. It didn't seem well, possible. And like, think about it. What does Coscarelli go do after this? Beastmaster. Yes. <laughs> oh God, was that him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he does Phantasm. It makes a ton of money, and he's like straight into the the sword, the the shirtless fantasy stuff. <laughs> yeah, he said he well, he said he grew up reading Andre Norton, and it was based on an Andre Norton novel originally. But then they showed her a rough cut, and she wanted her name taken off the film because it didn't resemble her book at all. Hmm. which is true so basically all they took was a swordsman with who could talk to animals and that was it and kind of invented <laughs> their own thing gosh i need to watch beastmaster again that movie rules i think the snm <laughs> demon zombies probably were a bridge too far for andre norton miss andre norton the dude the opening of that movie is pretty disturbing with ripped horn like in that the baby in the womb like you can see its hands like through the woman's stomach it's like ugh, you know there's a lot of weird stuff in that movie, and um, he, he got away with a lot. Like, there's there's more nudity than you expect from movies like that, even back in 82. 
And uh, it was a box office hit. It actually did pretty well. Well, you know, after that, he does his big budget Phantasm sequel, you know? Yeah. Big budget for a Phantasm movie. Yeah, he had a spotty career. I was talking with somebody who's in the industry about that, and that guy didn't know. And I, my theory was he had turned down a lot of big stuff. And you end up on a blacklist, I think, when you turn things down. Because he did say he was offered Conan the Destroyer by Dino De Laurentiis because Dino liked the Beastmaster. And he turned it down because he'd never actually read Robert E. Howard and uh, didn't feel a connection with the material. But I also, I'm going to guess, maybe he's a little lazy and just didn't. And I think he comes from money, and those guys just never feel like they have. Oh, yeah. He was, you know, he was born in Libya. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, his dad was there, but he moved around a lot. But, you know, he made his first film when he was like, what, 18 years old? Something like that. It's uh, Uh, Jim. um, Jim, the world's greatest. Yeah. Yeah. Which does not, has never existed on DVD, apparently. No. uh, Yeah. That Croscarelli was born in 54. Jim, the world's greatest came out in 75. So, wow. yeah, he was a kid, like teenager. And I think it was filmed in 73. Yeah, probably. It was, like was, he was probably story. like 17, 18 years old. Yeah, yeah he um, made it when he was a teen. And uh, one reviewer uh, on IMDb, I should have kept their name credit or whatever, but they made a great point. They said Coscarelli made movies that it might have been letterboxed, but they said Coscarelli makes movies. It's like a, a very intuitive 12 year old making R rated films. <laughs> Which is a good way of putting it. Okay, on Wikipedia it says Jim the World's Greatest was financed. Like Coscarelli and Mitchell, the uh, who he co-directed it with, uh, were 18 years old, and it was financed by their parents at the cost of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, so, they there you came go. from money. Yeah, so, so he's but never he's for cash. But uh, you know, so it's like one of those things where he's talented, but he also like doesn't have to hustle as much, maybe. Right. Because I remember with Bubba Hotep, like he kept holding on to the rights to it. Joe Lansdale was like, oh, I hope he never makes it because I could just keep getting that check coming in to, to, right, to right. hold on to it. But yeah, because, you know, he hasn't done that much, honestly. Well, he uh, was going to do Bubba Nosferatu and yeah. uh, <laughs> Bruce Campbell actually was the holdup on that. It wouldn't agree to do it. And I think his uh, Coscarelli's financiers pulled out of that. Because What's funny is Bruce will do like the biggest POS stuff, like man with the oh, screaming brain stuff. and like invaders from outer space. And then he, but then he's like, uh, I won't do a sequel to this cult cult movie. I did, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, it's weird. I'll go do like a, a ter- three seasons of the evil dead TV show, <laughs> but Bubba, <laughs> no, no my art, I, I won't do Bubba Nosferatu. My art won't allow it. Yeah. It's just like, I don't get that. Maybe he just didn't, didn't like working with those guys. I don't know. Could be. And just doesn't want to admit it or something. I, I don't know. Too nice to say anything. <laughs> but yeah, after Bubba Hotep, he just did an episode of Masters of Horror and John dies at the end. And that was 11 years ago. Yeah. Strangely underwhelming career. It, I would think like 30 years ago, if you had told me, oh, they're going to make all these movies based on Marvel comics, I would have thought Coscarelli would have directed one. Yeah, you know, but of course I would be thinking, oh, they're going to do them as these $9 million, you know, street level supernatural superhero action adventure movies and that's not how he did them of course now they do yeah. them where people who don't even speak english could direct them and it, it wouldn't matter because that career is so promising early on with phantasm Beastmaster, phantasm 2 yeah he did what the only movie of his i've never seen is survival quest 
which I used uh, to see it on cable TV when I was a kid. I don't remember you, it very well. You know, the cat Lance Henriksen, Dermot Milroney, uh, yeah. Catherine Keener. You know, it had a mm-hmm. pretty stacked cast, but that's the only film of his I haven't seen. But yeah, slows down considerably just doing like Phantasm movies. And he didn't even direct Phantasm five. That's right. You know, he just produced it, I think, had some script, but even but I think he was just didn't need to or didn't want to. I don't know. I think he just didn't want to. I think um, I, I think he's kind of lazy. But uh, Roger <laughs> Roger Avery was, I think, had written a big fanta- a big budget Phantasm screenplay. It was, and yeah, to it was it. it was called Phantasm 1999. Yeah. And it, it didn't happened, get made. Right? And they did. Fan- he did Phantasm four instead. Right. You know, I don't I don't quite get the hold up on that, but. You know, I guess Avery was kind of a wash up by then, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think um, it was kind of clear that he wasn't Quentin, too. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So, Stuart, this is your first time seeing Phantasm. I'm getting a getting a, a, a feeling you didn't like it. What do you think? How long you know me for? Nearly 15 years. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. been a, a few uh, a few election cycles. Yeah, well, uh, you you are right. <laughs> I can hate this movie. I thought it was shit. Really? Yeah. I wanted it so bad to enjoy this one. I sat down, but I thought, all right, lower your expectations and just let's just see how we go. But oof. I'm surprised. I thought you'd dig it because it's got that. The, it's got the 70s vibes. It's got some weird, strange stuff in it. I don't know. Well, I, don't know. I, I wanted to because I thought, okay, we start off, you know, with the. Uh, you know, the scene in the in the cemetery and I thought, well, all right, no worries. Hey baby, let's we're high. Hey. Oh well, really she <laughs> picked the one of the ugliest men around, but it's okay, whatever. <laughs> Personal choice. That's up to her. But oh man, it was just I didn't like the kid, Michael Baldwin, whoever he played in the film, I forgot his name. Well, well you might like you might like Phantasm two more because he got recast in that one. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the tall man was disappointing because I thought, well, you ain't that tall. I... <laughs> no, You're honestly, expecting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the role? No, um, who's the actor? I forgot his name. Angus Scrim? No, no, not him. No, I'm talking about an actor who was – when he played um, Dollhide. Uh, Ted Noonan. Tom, yeah, Noonan. That, Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. That's who you would need to have. Someone like a Tom Noonan-sized guy. And then you could he say, may not have been in the business at the time. He may not have. But you needed somebody around that size. Yeah. And what I thought was kind of funny was Angus Scrim clearly was like wearing clothes that were too small to make himself look bigger. Yeah. Yeah. He wore lips and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's because he's, uh, he's in Coscarelli's first movie, Jim, uh, the world's greatest. Oh, yeah. He's in he's in a lot of his movies. He was in Incident Off and On a Mountain Road. Um, but what's funny is like, you know, I remember after Phantasm Four thinking they're going to make another phantasm movie they better do it soon because that guy's getting old yeah and uh he died like right after they made phantasm ravager the fifth one but the thing is by the time they made ravager it was too late because the tall man just seems like a nice old man who's going to give you some candy like he's not he is he is not remotely menacing (laughs) yeah he looks like he's gonna pull out a uh, louis lamore paperback read it on the park bench Oh, man. It, and the movie clearly knows that because they give him barely any screen time. But anytime the tall man is there, it's like, oh, there's this nice old man here. He's going to they could definitely gonna... recast it with Tom Noonan nowadays if they did a a, new, a reboot of Phantasm. Oh, that oh, would be sick. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. T- 
I would I would go for that. I think any fan would accept that. And by the way, you know, Eric and I did that Home Alone knockoff show. Mm. A serious oversight was we didn't cover Phantasm Three: Lord of the Dead. <laughs> is that bad? Is it? <laughs> that movie is is uh, <laughs> Reggie teams up with Kevin McAllister. Only Kevin McAllister actually kills people with the stripes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasm- I remember everybody was like, oh, Phantasm 3 is the worst one. And then when I finally saw it, I was like, this movie rocks. I thought it was pretty rock. I thought it rocked. <laughs> this kid's throwing Frisbees with razors on them. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you if you listen to the commentary or whatever, Coscarelli would be like, well, I was reading a lot of Joe Lansdale. And I thought he'd put that stuff in there. And like Reggie's Reggie is it by Phantasm 3. He really is like a Lansdale protagonist. Like he's yeah. this old hippie who's just like trying to get laid all the time. <laughs> 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 oh man Stu, i think you should at least try phantasm 2 and just see what you think i, I am going to i mean uh, as i said as much as i really did not enjoy this first one it looked cheap and tawdry all right they had a low budget i understand so it's not going to look fantastic but the story's got so out of whack as we went along i thought all right there's stuff going on at the cemetery well, uh all right well i gotta say um you know, Phantasm 2 is probably the most narratively robust of them because the rest of the movies really, if you don't like that, you're probably not going to like the other ones besides two. Because, um, like, I remember somebody on my Letterboxd review of one of them complained that nothing happens in these movies. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, well, the plot, like, he goes, I couldn't tell you what it was about when it was over. Like, you know, like, I don't really know what. In Phantasm, like three and four, like no questions are answered, no new questions are raised. And I was like, yeah, but they work somehow for me. They're just like surreal, weird. What I love about the Phantasm movies is it feels like the world's ending, but it's not like the world's ended, but we haven't quite figured it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, like an unending nightmare in a way. Yeah, like and that becomes way more pronounced in two. But as yeah. they go on, it's like the world's ended, but nobody's kind of figured it out. Like, you know, they just go from town to town and every town's been destroyed by the tall man. Yeah. But, uh, but the first movie, this one I think is more about, it's more like a, about a kid processing, like the death of friends and family, like so that their parents are already the dead. Parents died, yeah. There's a lot of like, I think a lot of it's about Mike trying to process the death of his parents and his friend's brother dies. But then at the end, spoiler alert, we get this sort of twist that like Jody, his brother's been dead this whole time. Yeah. And like, we don't really know. Reggie's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Jody's gone. I didn't pick up on that at all. Yeah. Oh, fuck. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. At the end of the movie, there's a a left turn after they defeat the tall man where Jody's, uh, the brother, the older brother is dead. And Reggie's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then like, he's like, he's like, you know, you're staying with me now. It's fine. But, uh, you know what's fascinating though is like Phantasm. One reason I like Phantasm Four is mm-hmm. on paper it should be terrible because it's a movie that's built partially around deleted scenes from Phantasm One, but it right. works. <laughs> oh really? Okay. Yeah, like uh, John. I don't know. Did you think so? Um, I, I gotta go watch it again because the it makes yeah. really good use of those deleted scenes, and one of them is just kind of an alternate climax that they clearly just didn't use from Phantasm right, One. Right. Right. 
Well, they but, were uh, just talking. Um, Coscarelli has said that something the original cut was supposedly three hours. They always say stuff like that. It's like I think they mean the rough cut with like every sure. take they had to work off of. So, but then they claim a lot of that footage lost, but then a lot of the footage turned up in Phantasm, the one you just mentioned. And I'm just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I ever believe these guys and they always talk about, well, this is what we intended. This is the the footage we found or, oh, we discarded all of it. It's all missing. And then I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think this is originally intended to be uh, basically a series of, of the kid having nightmares dealing with the death of his brother. And, he, you know, he's reading sci-fi novels and, and stuff at bedtime and stuff. So he's he's getting all this imagery in his head from that. And I think that's what it was originally intended to be. And then when it made some money, especially in like foreign markets, and it did very well in America uh, when Avco Embassy released it in theaters and they sold it to get all of this. It actually played on CBS on the <laughs> late movie back when the CBS late movie used to play genre movies during the week, very late at night. And of course, cut to bits and everything. I saw a few things like that. And um, I, I think he kind of changed it, kind of like Romero suddenly yeah. claiming, oh, the zombies represent consumerism or some bullshit. You know, it's like, um, so Costco is like, OK, it's really about this whole post-apocalyptic scenario where, you know, guns meet the supernatural and all this crazy shit. Well, it's uh, it's like John Carpenter wearing turtlenecks when he gets compared yes. to Hitchcock. <laughs> As Rodent Rose said, he goes, is that point he's wearing denim jackets? And smoking cigarettes, and then at every shot after Halloween gets the critical acclaim, he's wearing his black turtlenecks and trying to look like a college professor. <laughs> it's very obvious. That's right, Fez. But yeah, right. I think that's something that's an interesting observation when you watch this movie to think about like just the the popularity of those paperback novels, and it's very much fueled by that those sci-fi paperbacks. Yeah, because back then, if you're a teenager, you're probably reading those those novels. You're probably doing weed or acid or something i know lsd was real big in the burbs back then doing the jazz cabbage confirm from his uh from oz if it was like that down there but it was in america still is yeah and if you couldn't afford it you huff gasoline let's be honest yeah i was gonna say it's that and gas fumes yeah and you read you read heavy metal magazine yeah (laughs) you watch you you read all these euro euro comics imported into heavy metal (laughs) dunna do yeah, it was. It's a very different uh, culture. It's very, very different from what it is today. But um, I tell you what, it has sparked my interest to watch part two. Which after watching it, this film yesterday, I said, "Forget it. I am bothering the rest. I, I have no time or no desire to see him." But uh, if two is as, I don't know, would you say good or enjoyable at least? If you like eighties horror, you'll like it. Oh yeah, it's I got do. it's yeah. got a lot of special effects. It's way more like. There's a lot more humor. There's a lot more. If you didn't like a Michael Baldwin, don't worry. He's not in it. Thank God. Um, it was horrible. He's back in three and four and five. But <laughs> mm. but but uh, I it's I think it's it's a little bit more of what you kind of want from a movie like this, I think. Um, OK, but you've got like, you know, the, the weird mechanical like, you know, how like Freddy has his little critter creatures and stuff. You have some of that with the tall man. We're like someone's spinal column comes out and it's got the tall man's face. And he's like, well done, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like Coscarelli without a budget problem because the yeah. universal gave him like six or 7 million to make it. And it, he doesn't really hold back on a, on special effects and, and action and stunt work and violence and uh, hot girls and that sort of thing. And uh, interestingly enough, <laughs> Brad Pitt auditioned for the film and was uh, turned down. Fantasm crazy. One. Or two. No, Phantasm 2. 
All right. Which is crazy because James LeGros is like the poor man's Brad Pitt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It actually, and Coscarelli said he was at a party and Brad Pitt came up to him and said, you didn't hire me for Phantasm 2. And he went, wait a minute, you auditioned? And he went back and looked at the tapes and found Brad Pitt's audition footage. Probably best for Brad Pitt. Brad probably was, honestly. Yeah. Well, yeah, he had to, he got to do Cool World instead. Well, Jennifer Aniston is never shaking that leprechaun. Yeah, uh, stigma. It's attached. <laughs> yeah, to she's era. fine. She got all that friends money. Yeah. <sighs> I just saw today how much money they're raking in per year. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's insane. It's no wonder none of them do hardly ever work. You know, don't need to. <laughs> yeah, why? Why? You know, think why they you in... sit there getting drugged out in your hot tub and. You know. <laughs> Yeah, not sad, David Schwimmer. That Matthew Perry couldn't do like a uh, he couldn't do like a, a Steve Gutenberg because we always hear the story. Steve Gutenberg, all he does is sit or, sit in his hot tub and get stoned, and he's like the nicest guy in Hollywood. <laughs> well, you he's know, that, always can't stop the music residuals. Is yes, exactly. At least <laughs> Academy Six. Yeah. Well, and you know, David Schwimmer doesn't have that problem. No, because he's David Schwimmer. Right. The, the hot tub poses no threat. There's a stoicism to David Schwimmer. <laughs> and isn't, you know, he's a, he's a swimmer. Yes. Trained. It's funny because I've never seen a single episode of Friends. And I'm not even trying to sound like a hipster or anything. Oh, my gosh. Look at the look at the look at the guy over here. He's too cool for school. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's funny because I do want to see like I know there's an episode of Chris Isaac because my brother loves the show and he always tells me about that one. And I never could catch it when it was syndicated and then I didn't bother to watch it on Netflix. There's, there's one with Jean-Claude Van Damme. At all Damme time in the world. <laughs> yeah, there's Van a Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme episode, right? Yeah. Yep. And there's yeah, one I... where, uh, I think there's one where like uh, Ross and Rachel go to like an MMA fight or something. <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tell you, there is a show that has disappeared off the face of the planet. It's the Chris Isaac show. I bet you nobody remembers it. Uh, yeah, I have most of it. Uh, Garrow used to record it for me because he had Showtime, and mm. he would send me tapes of it, like on videotape. And I think yeah, I've still got the tapes of it, but yeah, boy, that thing just absolutely disappeared. I don't know what's the music on. royalties. I think. Oh yeah, it's obviously that, but um, yeah, I remember seeing one episode at the end of uh, Chris Isaac was doing a a duet with Vince Neil. Girls, girls, girls. It was embarrassing. I remember that. <laughs> And he's Chris is singing it like Roy Orbison. <laughs> yeah, and Vince Neil's about you know three hundred pounds and right. got the goatee to hide his overly fat face. He should have worn a Hawaiian shirt. That's usually what what his type you know resorts to. They're actually in town tonight and here, Motley Crue. I thought, why? No one gives a shit. <laughs> they they just get up there and play pre-recorded tracks. They do. Yep. Hey, Kiss could do it. I guess they're gonna do it. Yeah, they with uh, Tommy Dave. Lee will do a solo on his little uh, roller coaster drum set, and then it gets stuck while he's upside it's down. It's probably just a merry-go-round now. Tommy Lee posts a thing on uh, social media about how expensive cigarettes are in Melbourne. He goes, "Dude, I can't believe the fucking price. It was four packets for two hundred and fifty something Australian bucks." Which I thought, well, well you know, well, did you know? Um, you know, well, that that's what they're going to do in uh, England. The king is. He and Rishi Sunak, they said they're going to raise the minimum age for cigarettes every year until all the smokers are dead. Oh, they're doing it here as well. Doing it here. And jumping up the price of the tax on, on the on the ciggies every year. I mean, the packet's like about 60-something bucks here, which is 
Yeah, I mean, I don't smoke, so I don't give two fucks, honestly. And those who do, well, it's your own goddamn problem. But uh, yeah, that is a lot of money. Let's be honest. It's a little insane. Yeah. I don't know what they cost in America. What Look, the poor's have their uh, have their cheap buzz, you know? Um, no, what do they cost? Last time I checked, they were like eight bucks. They're probably more now. Yeah, they're like eight or nine dollars, I think. Mm. If you go to like New York or something, it's way more, I'm sure. I, I always I always tell uh, smokers, I say, hey, you got to do what I do. You got to get a, a tobacco pipe and get you a big can of pipe tobacco. I that forgot you stuff. smoke, John. Just that. I don't smoke cigarettes. Well, I like a, uh, I smoke cigars every now and then. And like yeah, one, c- one cigar, though, that does me, you know, that's that I'm good for a while, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like What's one this? cigar is it's a treat and it comes once in a while. And, Are they expensive? Uh, depends. Like they can be anywhere from like, you know, a decent cigar. <laughs> it would be like, you know, 10 to 15, 20 bucks, you know, the Cuban depends one. on. So Depending Hunter, you're not on... gonna be like Aaron Berg, and you're, uh, you know, sitting there and just smoking cigars for an hour in the morning. No, <laughs> dude, like I don't know how people do that because, like, yeah, once, I don't get it either. <laughs> like, I don't know how Arnold Schwarzenegger's like on the set of Predator, like just peer pressuring Carl Weathers into smoking cigars by just going, "Come on, Carl, that was so good." <laughs> yeah, it was the eighties. Don't be the yeah. girly man. You know, they're trying to get Greta Thunberg to. Uh, there are people who smoke those things like cigarettes, man, and it's like ah, I, I don't do know. How, I don't know how you do that because, yeah. like, a cigar gives you it gives you like a a mi- not a not like bad, but it gives you a minor hangover. Like you feel it the next day. Oh, oh I, uh, a Cuban cigar I smoked gave me like a hangover an hour after I was done. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the hell are these commies putting in this stuff? I, I I'll tell you like numerous times I'll get a friend to have a cigar with me and they, they'll enjoy it and blah 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 and then the next day they'll go i don't think i'm ever gonna have a cigar again <laughs> i have never ever smoked in my life and i never will start silence pipes cigar i don't see the point it's just that's just me though i want to smoke i want to take up pipe smoking just so i can like be austere and i prefer it, it uh my brain uh it's like i get more like my thoughts get more clarified. Like I read books faster. Strangely <laughs> enough, I don't know why that is. No, that's like, true. Uh, I was reading over the weekend. I had a cigar and I was sitting on the porch, uh, <laughs> and, and I was I was reading the biography of Vince McMahon, and uh, I was like ripping through that thing. You know, I was focused. It was great. Yeah. How, how is that book? Is it good? It's good in terms of the info there. Like, there's a lot of information. The journalism's good. Yep. The person who's writing it is clearly insane and has an axe to grind. Um, <laughs> Who is like, it? Because uh, Abra- Abraham Reisman. Um, I know the name. Oh, wrestling but, uh, journalist could be the worst. Yeah, and uh, the author is clearly trying to kind of... The thesis is kind of like Vince is the reason we have Trump and COVID and stuff. Like, I can tell that's sort of... <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I think that's like where it's going. But there's a lot of info in there. There's a lot of stuff about Vince's scandals. There's a lot of stuff about other wrestlers. But, you know, it's probably nothing you don't already know, John. Yeah, I mean, I was reading the Wrestling Observer years ago and followed all that stuff. And it was always a pretty scummy company, even back in the 80s. But like, you know, I was like, I'll see this thing about this thing where Vince and Bruno San Martino are yelling at each other on a talk show. And I'm like, oh, I want to look that up, you know? Oh, yeah, it's on YouTube. I've seen that. <laughs> and, uh. 
Vince doing like musical numbers where he's like threatening other promoters. You know? <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah. He did. He did some sort of song, an ode to himself on I think one of the wrestling rock albums. The Slammies. The Slammies. Yeah, yeah. 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 If, they, yeah. If, if if Bruno and Vince ever came to blows, Bruno would flatten him in two seconds. Oh, I know. He's yeah. a fucking monster, that guy. Um, yeah, and Vince is um he basically fucked up the entire American wrestling industry. So. You know, well, yeah, by putting all those promoters out of business. Not that a lot of them were really nicer people or anything, but mm. he kind of destroyed what actually worked really well. And it was arguably a lot more popular 30, 40 years ago. The more I see about how much Vince ruined the territories and bought them all up, the more I get angrier at him thinking, geez, I wish he hadn't have done that. What do you mean? Well, it, seems like, it seems like it was better for the wrestlers, too, because they could kind of go in a territory, have a that, run. That was the thing that you bound to Vince. Once. Everything was swallowed up by McMahon. Everything, yeah. he, everything was either his way or the highway. Well, that, that's it's what I mean. Way. Is like it was kind of better for the talent that way because yeah, you know it's it's better when there's multiple promotions to to go to. But um, because yeah, the fans get tired of you. They get tired of you after about a year. So it's good. You go, oh, I'll go to Portland and work a program there for half a year, and then I'll go to Memphis and work for four or five months, you know, and make some money. Yeah, it was better to do it that way. I think. Speaking of Portland, I. I only just found out a few months back that the guy who played the executioner in WrestleMania one was Playboy Buddy Rose. I had no idea. Oh, I always forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was like the Ric Flair of Portland in a way. He's mm. kind of like their yeah, kind of the hometown legend. top heel and everything. And supposedly the Portland wrestling that you find on YouTube and you can find on streaming channels, all of that allegedly came from Buddy Rose's videotape collection. That doesn't surprise me. Because he, yeah. he recorded his own stuff. Because you know, promoters didn't care about keeping tapes of their shows. But Buddy, I guess, recorded. He had a VCR. He recorded every uh, every show. Nice. Good for the archives. Oh, speaking of oh. the archives, you saw that channel I sent? That wrestling one? That, wrestling, that bodybuilding one? Oh, uh, yeah. Went, yeah. Holy shit. I swear. What a info for free. All those DVDs. I, have a, I think I have about four of the Battle for the Olympias. They, I got... Luckily, I got them around 25 30 bucks. But these things were an absolute... They were about $80 at a time. Yeah. Because they're usually about three disc sets. Now to have them all on YouTube, and you can download them as well, <laughs> it's just... It blows my mind. Also, it's not just the Battle for the Olympia ones. It's all the ones that the... You know, the Ronnie Coleman ones he did, the Jay Cutler ones he did, the Flex Wheeler ones. Uh, uh, is the other guy, Sean... Oh, Sean Ray name. and uh, Sean Ray. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. He, and, and he got the Branch Warren one he did. And oh, that's uh, it. Oh, wow. Nice. It's an amazing library of uh, those those vids. Yeah. So I, I mean, I subscribed that straight away as soon as I found out about it, and um, subscribed to Heavy Duty College, which is the Mike Mincer channel. I mean, obviously he's gone, but you know, it's got all these uh, teachings and lectures and uh, how to train videos on there. So um, yeah. Good times to be a bodybuilding fan. Yeah. And he's probably that uh, video maker. He's probably making more money monetizing it on YouTube than trying to still sell DVDs these well, days. I actually found out he doesn't own that company anymore. He was bought out in 2009 or 2010 by another guy. Uh-huh. Uh, I forgot his name. He bought the entire library and he's the one who's put it up. But it's Mitsuru's stuff. Okay. Shot it. But this other guy, I think his name is. I'd be lying if I forgot what his name was, but he owns all the library of MOC video stuff and yeah, he's uploaded it all. So yeah, I'll uh, 
be getting the old uh, downloader happening over the next few days and getting the stuff I want. My uh, bodybuilding folder, which contains hardly any stuff in there at the moment, is going to get chock-a-block. <laughs> then, then you're going to be the size of superstar Billy Graham in a year, right? <laughs> It'll be the size of uh, Marcus Rule in a year. <laughs> See, my my uh, goal is to be like Dr. Jerry Graham. <laughs> I'm, if a man does not react that way when he hears his mother is in the hospital, are you truly a man? <laughs> I just want it's to say funny you mentioned wrestling because I read Coscarelli's book a few years ago, back when it first came out, and he talked about how he was a huge fan of wrestling, and both he and Roger Avery loved uh, WCW Nitro. Mm-hmm. And when they got excited because they had signed the Kiss Demon, or, or they're going to have the Kiss <laughs> oh, Demon God. as a wrestler. So they wrote an entire wrestling angle and storyline for the Chris Demon or the Kiss Demon, and they sent it to Eric Bischoff, and he turned <laughs> them down. <laughs> and they were so bummed because they, they loved uh, they loved wrestling and they loved Kiss, so they had conceived of this entire loony story, and, and they just got turned down. I, funny enough, Bob Mould of Husker Du was actually on the writing staff of Nitro at the time. Are you Holy kidding me? Shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, he, turns out he was a huge fan of like New Japan wrestling and all that stuff. So he was he was supposedly responsible for some of the more straightforward stuff and some of the silly stuff. Uh, what about what years was this when Coscarelli and Avery were trying to? I think it was ninety nine when they were falling apart. Okay. Yeah. Well, so Bischoff will say yes, no to that, but he'll say yes to putting the belt on David Arquette. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was a year later, though. That they're all oh, that mistake yeah. for their entire. You know, so, so they were getting pretty, pretty desperate at that point. Oh, by two thousand hour shambles, mm. they really were. Apparently, like, but it's funny because it's like, okay, you got an Oscar-winning screenwriter, and you got you know this filmmaker who's got a good rap, and you run his damn movie, The Beastmaster, on your sister channel all the time, and uh, it's like oh, maybe you should just let them submit their storyline. Probably would just taking a couple of hundred dollars for the ideas, you know. You know, there's somebody out there right now screaming, Fantas is my favorite horror film, man. What is this shit? <laughs> yeah, I know. They're, they're talking about wrestling now. Phantasm is one of my favorite horror movies, though. I love this movie. Really? Yeah, I love it. Okay. Very 1979 horror to me, even though it came out in 78, I think. But so, it, uh, it represents that 79, Dawn of the Dead, Alien, Phantasm. For me, it's like the last great year for horror. It exists in that realm for me. Yeah, yeah, it's Halloween like, I, like and all 70s, that. I think of, yeah, yeah. Halloween was getting a re-release and was uh, on cable and was still playing drive-ins, and it's just all like this wonderful, frightening time at the movies. Would you say this is a better horror film than Halloween one? Mm, you know, I was thinking that last night. Like, which would I rather watch again? Would it be Phantasm because I haven't seen it as many times. I knew you'd say that. You contrary. Yeah. You were such a contrary. John will, <laughs> John will never go with the status quo and say, "Oh no, it's Halloween." But well. Yeah. You know, uh, I you both of them are just throw it on. I could watch any time. So. Yeah, it doesn't deteriorate Halloween for me, but because of something I worked on earlier this year, I don't really ever want to watch a Halloween movie ever again. <laughs> I do. And I'm not I'm not going to go into that for legal reasons, but I don't want to ever. And it's it's not because I don't like the first movie. I love it. But I'm tired of it. I'm I'm done. You know, I'd rather watch Prince of Darkness. It's kind of like me with a lot of like Iron Maiden records. It's like, yeah, I got it. Good. Yeah. I'm so glad you raised that because I finally heard Sinjutsu last week. I thought this is awful. (laughs) Isn't it boring? So boring. So bad. 
it's like just repetitive, long. I think maybe I enjoyed one song on it, sort of. <laughs> I mean, Book of Souls was bad. The one before it from 2015. Book of, but... Soul, Book of Souls looks like Rush's 2112 compared to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm and I'm not saying Book of Souls is great, but you know, it's not. at least Book of Souls at least had a couple of decent tracks. There's like half a good song on Sinjutsu. And mm-hmm. there's one 10 minute song and another 13 minute song. I thought. I think the song that I liked the most was the one that was the one song that was under 10 minutes. Yeah, most likely because it was done within probably five. <laughs> and even then, like the intro was too long. Every song on that record has a intro that wears out its welcome. Yeah. Slow. It's it's the same thing over and over. Yeah. It's like the village people, they'd have the same drum beat that would start all the time. And they'd start every fucking song. Well, you know but with the intros. While I disagree with a lot of his takes on music, one take Razor Fist has that's totally correct. Is he said that with Clive Burr they had a real drummer, and with with Nico McBrain they had a guy who does the same galloping beat over and over. I again. did. I'll <laughs> tell you now. I'm about to post onto my dead YouTube channel, which I'm going. I took uh, Clive Burr's drums from Genghis Khan off the Killers album, and just isolated it. The time changes and patterns he's playing in that thing is fucking batshit nuts. I couldn't believe it when I did that. But like so, every Nico McBrain drum track is like bum bada bum bada bum bada bum bada bum bada bum. It's galloping. It's <laughs> yeah. Galloping drum. Yeah. Yeah, because I've been getting a lot of Maiden lately, and I heard uh, heard Killers again. I really don't like those first two Iron Maidens. I do like Killers. It's a patchwork quilt. But that first one, it's a bad album. Well, it's, Steve Harris would agree with you. And he, it's, and it's he, he winces when he talks about it. Yeah, it's Diano. It's the, the sound is awful. The songs are pedestrian. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a Maiden fan out there going, you do better, you dickhead. But it's not mm-hmm. the case of that. It's... That was a good impression of a Maiden fan, though. That's what they all sound like. Well, no, not these days. There'd be someone in there still going, You do better, asshole. <laughs> you motherfucker. You do better than Stevie Harris. Like, I can't. You, I know that. You, you but... motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it that way because I heard a, um, there was a YouTube channel, this guy, he was, he was just pilfering millions of dollars out of this Indian scam center and and there was screaming, motherfucker, give me my money back. He's just deleting all these fucking millions of dollars. But anyway, that first I made numb is just <sighs> Prowler's okay. Remember tomorrow's okay. Running free's pedestrian. Phantom of the Opera bores me. I am made and I've heard about two trillion times. I don't want to hear it again. Yeah, when I saw Ghost was covering Phantom of the Opera, I went Oh, they could have done well, better than that. I was like, I was like, oh, come, come on, you know, yeah. like, let's do something else. I still haven't gotten that EP yet. I better get onto it because um, I don't want to go out of print. It's got some but, good. It's got it's got some good uh, good covers on it. I think uh, you know. I think Papa's starting to get a bit too uh, much into the um, Benjamins and start worrying about the music and stop worrying about uh, Funko Pops of Papa Emeritus the Fourth. Just just get back in the studio. Enough's enough. It's Funko Pops of Papa Emeritus. <laughs> well, there is. <laughs> Stupid. Get I back need to a Funko. And do another album like the last one. The last calls, one was Stella. Calls up a uh, Funko. Yes, I need a Funko of Cardinal Copia post haste. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to eight nameless ghouls as well. I need the nameless ghouls from the uh from the, from the years from the from the year zero album cycle. 
<laughs> I would also like Funko Pops of the gas mask wearing short female bass player that I had on the last two records. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, there was another band that was in town last month, the start of October, goes, but didn't go. Yeah, they. I feel like they were here not too long ago, but I can't remember. Mel- Melbourne is getting flooded with bands that's either coming out, just been out, or about to come out because it's a summer period. So, you know, it's the most popular time to come to Australia. But, yeah, and everyone's like, Iron Maiden's even coming out again. I think, uh, no. Uh, yeah, they're going to Maiden concert. Yeah, the Maiden's coming here next year. They're going to be here. Yeah, they're not coming until later next year. But, boy, I just. I mean, I looked up ticket price. And I thought, I'm not paying 140 bucks to see Iron Maiden. You can go get nodded. I'm not paying that. That's <laughs> uh, ridiculous. So, fellas, I have a question. Um, do you want to wrap it up? Okay. okay. We're done with Phantasm. Phantasm. Well, what did you rate Phantasm, Stu? Out of 10, I'm giving it two. Oh, oh that hurts me. It hurts, John- but, I think, but I will say this. I'm going to place an asterisk next to it because now you've told me about the ending, which I had, I just, I think I must have tuned out by the end. I thought, I'm just so bored. Yeah. I will watch it and go for that... Uh, because it, it doesn't beat it doesn't beat you over the head with it. It just kind of happens. It's it's kind of weird. It's it's, it's but it adds it adds to the surrealness of it. Six sense moment. But yeah, I'll watch it again, and I will watch two. So I will report back with what I thought about part two. Yeah, John, what would you rate Phantasm? I give it a nine. Fucking hell. <laughs> um. Well, on Letterboxd, I gave it five stars, so it's a ten for me. Yeah. Jesus. I love this movie. <laughs> what the fuck's in the water over there? My God. You know, I love Phantasm. Look, um, hey, you like it, you like it. I'll give the Nebuchadnezzar of... two and a half, actually, because I like the title better. And I actually is... <laughs> recreated the old VHS for Blu-ray, by the way, as the Nebuchadnezzar. Um, but yeah, no, this is one of my favorite horror series. The only one that I think is, like, pretty weak is the fifth one. Um, Ravager, right. Which, you know, it's mostly just because they waited too long. They should have, you know, it's shot on digital. It just kind of looks cheap. Reggie carries the movie on his shoulders, poor guy. But, you know, when I first saw it, I uh, remember liking it. But when I went back and watched it, I was like, mm, this doesn't really hold up. But the one that's kind of underrated is four. I really like four a lot. Does it fall into that sort of leprechaun stupid area of sequels? No, not really. They stay pretty consistent. I mean, like three gets, you know, you can definitely tell, OK, they've been watching Home Alone. <laughs> but it maintains a pretty consistent quality, I think. OK. Yeah, they don't look like Freddy Krueger where suddenly the tall man is telling jokes and stuff. Yeah, no. Oh, no. In fact, in fact, he becomes he becomes more like in the background as the movies go on. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do us. Stick around for Nez. He says he's got his piece already for me. All right. So, well, with that, I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say adios. Yeah, peace out. And now it's time for Rue Britannia with your foreign correspondent, the Nez. Surprise, nobody ever Muslim incest survivors. Elected Indian Prime Minister Richard Sunak played his last card before a general election campaign next year with a cabinet reshuffle that was somewhat full of surprises. 
half talking, but only Rihanna called for. Homer's secretary, Sir Braverman, is dismissed for simply not basically standing him. Failed Prime Minister David Cameron is brought back as Foreign Secretary, even though no longer an MP. And the usual batch of personal emergencies and resignations ultimately followed suit. In short, Braverman will effectively go to the backbenchers to set forth with Sunak, but the return of Cam de Sham is somewhat of a surprise as Foreign Secretary, not least given how his war against Gaddafi in Libya as Prime Minister hopelessly destabilised the country and consequently led to an invasion of illegal immigrants from 2015 onwards into Europe with fatal consequences. Also, let it be noted that Cameron was also involved in the biggest lobbying scandal to effectively hit Westminster in over 30 years when, having resigned as an MP, he secretly lobbied the government with his employer's Greensill Capital, lest we also forget that he resigned the day after the Brexit referendum after having lost. Talk about the idea of moral cowardice. Anyway, all of this effectively indicates and points to the idea of a governing party in civil war, less than a year away from the general election. Hung the parliament ahead. Love thy neighbour. And there was another love-filled weekend in old London term this week, as the far left and their Muslim immigrant friends staged another free Palestine demo. They're right, of course, free Gaza for Muslims, but be that as it may, the usual behaviour applied, mass arrests, like burning, and the Daily Mail deciding that everyone's basically a racist, but of course the ones who are basically anti-Semitic. On the plus side, it's always nice to see multiculturalism and diversity being killed off effectively by the very imbeciles who championed both concepts for over 40 years. Now, after all, nothing screams multiculturalism and diversity quite like a hijab-wearing Muslim immigrant waging Islamic holy war on the streets of your country. Others, of course, basically fancy the idea of being accused of being a racist by them. In my case, however, it was a pleasure indeed to irritate them. TV for plebs, and the new season of ITV's Death Run, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, begins in earnest with the fast-fading down-market TV network announcing this year's cast list with all the glee of the Chinese Communist Party sending gays to concentration camps. We are bluntly, putting it bluntly, Britney Spears' useless sister, singer from a quiz show, an Italian jockey, a reality TV show winner, retired boxer, a next soap actor, a major D from a reality TV show, another entity from another marital reality TV show, another reality TV show survivor, a TV critic from The Guardian, another ex-soap actress, and Nigel Farage. That's your fucking Farage? Leaving aside the idea that eating cheap technicals live on the camera can only really actually go so far for the network, I would just casting effectively achieves the purpose of free word of mouth and publicity for ITV. Television? Yeah, they. Further notes in passing, celebrity magician and card shop David Berglass's funeral was held this week, or his final trick he ended up basically making his casket disappear. Action on Beetlejuice 2 and Gladiator 2 resumed in London this week after the end of the SHA dispute. Did you really miss them? And finally, Indian Prime Minister Richard Sunak celebrated Diwali this week outside of number 10, and as usual displayed virtue by wearing an infrared dotted target on his forehead whilst worshipping a cab. The press cover as usual just went off to McDonald's when the whole thing was over. Axe.
Thank you for listening to the Midnight Movie Cowboys. For more information, go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com. For feedback, comments, or show suggestions, go to midnightmoviecowboys at gmail.com. Like what you hear? Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Hear us on Stitcher Radio. Head over to stitcher.com and download the app. Want to help the show out? Head on over to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and hit the PayPal donate. We appreciate all donations of any denomination. Find us on Twitter at MMCowboys. Like us on Facebook. Head over to facebook.com type in Midnight Movie Cowboys. Hit the like button over there. Want to friend us personally on Facebook or follow us on Twitter? Go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and find the links from there on the right-hand side. Thanks for listening. See you all next week.